Astabir, you were beaten, you were cast out. It's so easy to hate people that do this to you. He said, no, I love them. Hello and welcome to the Word in Action podcast from Bible League International. I'm your host, Michael Woolworth. Bangladesh is one of the world's largest Muslim-majority countries where Christians make up a very small percentage of the overall population and they face fierce persecution. But despite these factors, Christians are living out their faith and reaching others with the gospel. My colleague Ryan visited Bangladesh recently. Welcome, Ryan. What did you see that made it evident that you were in a Muslim-dominated area? I think the first thing, you get off the plane, everybody's wearing the uh, the, the Muslim dress. But there, everybody's got, you know, the native language. So that, that right away is it's jarring. And you're already on that experience of that culture shock. That, oh, this is going to be different. This <laughs> isn't going to be Mexico. This isn't going to be Colombia. This is a totally different thing. <laughs> Quickly, you start getting into the rhythm of the daily prayers. You start hearing it over the megaphones in your hotel room, yeah. you know, as you're going down the roads. The, the very first thing... That was evident was what people were wearing and audibly that call to prayer, mm. which is very, very different than what we get yeah. here. Bangladesh, a lot of people will, kind of like me, you kind of picture in your mind the abject poverty that's in mm. Bangladesh, whether that's in a rural setting or a city setting. But it also has a lot of natural beauty. Um, did you see those two extremes? Certainly the poverty. So one of the things with abject poverty is that conservation is really, that, that's a luxury they don't have. You know, you're, you're in downtown Dhaka, right? And they have, they have rivers and they have uh, ponds and, and local wildlife, but it's, it's dirty. You know, people are just trying to yeah. get their $5 a day. They're, they're trying to get that and that's what they're focused on. The last thing they're thinking about is, well, how do I keep this river clean? In the middle of Dhaka is this, is this very wide river. Um, but it's filled with trash. It's dirty. You know, you see that and, you know, you go look at the Mississippi and it's this beautiful river. Um, yeah, you've hmm. got some commerce going down it, but it, for the most part, it's beautiful. There it's, you've got trash. This is where the poverty, the impo- real impoverished parts of it comes. You have people washing their clothes in this already dirty water. Mm. You see them bathing. Hmm. Some of them have soap. Some of them don't. As far as beauty is concerned, I mean, it is beautiful once you get outside of Dhaka. You know, you have these palm trees and you have the rice fields and th- there's a certain industrious beauty about it, sure. Keep in mind, Bangladesh is 130 million people in a, in a square mm. mileage that's mm. a a fifth of Texas. So oh, wow. so the United States is 320, 350 million people. So you take a third of us and put us in 20% of Texas, and that's what you've got. So hmm. uh, there's not that much open space isn't, you know, uh, inhabited by somebody. So you were there to meet with end users of Bible League materials and try to understand how all this impacts the the work of the Great Commission. Let's talk about the Christian community. Um, I know they make up a very small percentage of the uh, the overall population yeah, about 1%. in Bangladesh. Ninety percent of people follow Islam, right? They're they're Sunnis or they're um, um, you know some some sect of Islam. Do believers feel outnumbered? Um, do they live out their faith on the down low? Did you meet people? that were vibrant in their Christian faith or very, very quiet? What did you find? I think you're right. About 90% are are Islamic. And then another 9% is Hindi. Mm -hmm. And so you've got 1% of the population that that actually says that they're Christian. And of course, those numbers you can only take so far because, you know, people do keep it under wraps. 
Um, but they do live it out. Um, and that's why they're persecuted, because they're living it out. I wouldn't necessarily call it vibrant. That's not to say that they're not active in what they're doing and active in their community. This is much more subdued, very muted, much more pastel than it is vibrant oils. But the potency isn't any different. I mean, the spirit is working in 1% as much as it is in 50% of, mm-hmm. a, of a country. Mm-hmm. So when we met with, with the Christians there... Yeah, they're, they're kind of shaped by their environment, too. Right. Religious freedom, even though it's a secular country, there really isn't a lot of religious freedom, is there? I mean, Oh, uh, absolutely and, not. And, 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 we're, and we're going to talk about one of these admirable men that lives out his Christian faith in, a, in an amazing way, but he truly is persecuted. So maybe they're kind of shaped by their environment there. They, they kind of live things out maybe on the down low. They wouldn't be hesitant if somebody said, what's the reason for the joy that's within you, right? They yeah, would be able to give that answer. They're not hesitant to share or, yeah. or talk about their own joy. But I think it, it probably vibrant is a different or is a strange word when I think about Christianity in Bangladesh, just for the reason you said, because it, they're shaped by it. So you're not going to go out and and just yell on the street side that you're a Christian. Hmm. Hmm. Um, one, that's just not the culture. And you end up speaking more volumes by what you don't do than what you do. Yep. So, for example, so a beer who we went to go talk to, it spoke l- much more loudly when he didn't go to the mosque. That spoke more loudly than when somebody asked him if he's a Christian. Abir was a was an imam. He was a, the religious leader, the one organizing and leading people in that cycle of prayer. So when that person doesn't show up, that would be like your pastor didn't tell you that he he converted to something else and just didn't show up on a Sunday morning. So we're gonna, I want to come back to his story, but yeah. think about the overall church. I know you you probably worshipped at a church. You had had some uh, communication with uh, with with clergy. Overall, is the church? This is probably big C. Is it growing in Bangladesh? Is it shrinking? You know, if you look at Barner research about church growth here in America, I mean, Barner will tell us um, growth is somewhat stunted here in America. Maybe even on the uh, decline, especially because of COVID, and then you know a lot of people identifying as nuns, right? Not as uh, you know NUNSs. But right, no, no affiliation with religion. So church growth here would be on the decline. From what you know, what you saw, what's it like in Bangladesh? Are churches growing? And yeah, I think this is kind of related back to 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 trying to describe what the church looks like. The church is certainly growing, but it's hard to put numbers to that. You know, with with persecution that's going on, with with people being more subdued in their faith, or living out their faith, rather, people don't want to come forward saying that they're Christians. So it's really, really difficult that even though they are, they are saved, they believe that Jesus came, died for their sins, and they'll profess that. There's still more nuance to it. So looking at the numbers is, is much more difficult of a prospect um, when trying to figure out if the church is growing. We know that the Spirit is moving. We ha- we trust and we have faith that, that the Spirit is moving in Bangladesh. Little by little, just from what we can see, it's growing. And, and with the promises of sharing God's Word, it is growing. Uh, since 2018, through Bible League programs, uh, we've reached 6.1 million people. Mm. Wow. Over 6 million people have wow. been reached with the Word wow. of God. Praise the um, Lord. We trust that the Spirit is moving in that. Every time that God's Word is shared with somebody, the Spirit is in that. Mm-hmm. Um, whether we can put a number to that, it's difficult. And and everything that I've heard when I was over there is that persecution is only increasing. Mm. So when you look at all of those other aspects to it, we only faithfully can I say that the church is growing. Okay. 
So Bible League programs, listeners will hear us say Project Philip. They'll hear about church planner training, Bible-based literacy. I know not all those are offered uh, everywhere, but what did you see in Bangladesh? Are those programs used? Are they vital to the growth that you saw, that you witnessed? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Church planter training and Project Philip is so it is really, really important, especially in these areas. Project Philip being that relational Bible study. Mm. You know, like I was saying before, you can't just go out and, and just preach on the sidewalk. That's just mm. not how that works. Right. With people being as frightened of their own governments or the people or their families, their businesses, it has to be one-on-one with somebody that you're walking them through the faith, walking them through the word and what Christ has done. And that's what Project Philip allows for. It's a, it's a one-on-one relationship. And then as far as church planter training, going back to Abir, he, uh, he, he said as much. There isn't training to help people disciple. Church planter training allows for training up those disciples that you've, you've talked to through Project Philip. There aren't those materials. There mm. aren't, uh, well, there aren't those materials or that training to really disciple people. Um, yeah, so Bible League is filling a big role there. Right. As communities of emer- uh, Christians emerge and there's not churches, we're there to help provide training that creates uh, right. the, the environment for a, so, for a local church. Yeah. So just as a process, so somebody would come in through Project Philip, you know, they, they've known somebody, and then they start leading, and then they want to do church planter training. Uh, not in as much as just planting a church, as much as it is about how do we reach people. Because it is difficult. It is. It's different than what we have here, precisely because people will persecute you, not not just with mm-hmm. their words, um, but economically, socially. Um, so church planter training is really instrumental in how do you grow that congregation. Okay. You learned the story of uh, a beer. We're using an alias for security uh, purposes. Um, a former imam, an Islamic cleric uh, there who came to uh, Christ faced tremendous persecution in terms of having, I think I read his house was vandalized. Um, he was forced to move uh, to another city. Um, he was beaten. He's been verbally abused. Uh, he was labeled an infidel. Tell us his story. Boy, what a story. And I, I find it remarkable, uh, really, that he is, he is exactly what Christ promised when he was talking to the apostles in Matthew 10. Um, and I have to read it because it, it is exactly hmm. what he's going through. Great. Jesus says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. I'm going, I'll expand on it, but just, I, but that just, describes him that, that as, is, to a T. That is yeah. his story. Hmm. When I interviewed him, I had him read that. In fact, I had everybody that I talked to, all the persecuted Christians that we interviewed, read that. Because those that is their story. Hmm. And every time there was an emotional response... 
they'd start reading and then they get halfway through it when it clicked for them when they're like yeah this is what jesus said hmm. and it, and it it's unbelievable how remarkably close so for a beer he was that wolf among sheep he believed in the quran and everything the quran had to say he didn't want christians coming in because they were speaking untruth against his community hmm. It wasn't until later when Abir, as an imam, was in this tea shop. He was talking about Jesus because Islam still believe in Jesus. Mm. Um, they right. believe him to be a great prophet, a great teacher. So, mm -hmm. of course, they're going to talk about it. So, this other guy, he overhears him talking about Jesus. And he's like, okay, so you're, you're talking about Jesus, but have you ever read the Bible? And Abir says, no, but I will. According to Abir in the Quran, it... it suggests to read the Torah and to read the gospel for greater context sure. into into being a better Muslim. So out of prudence and out of being a better imam to serve his people better, he would read it. And as he was reading, he came across Matthew 28 when Jesus says, all authority under heaven and earth have been given to me. Hmm. And this struck him. It struck him because nowhere in the Quran is there a claim like that made. Hmm. Muhammad doesn't claim to have all authority over heaven and earth. And in fact, as, as Abir says, there are several moments when, um, when Muhammad would say something along the lines of, I don't know where you're going. I don't know what's happening after I die. So when Jesus talks about being the way, the truth, and the life, um, and being the great judge, that, that's a claim that's made differently. And that struck Abir different. So after reading that, he goes back to this man and, and wants to be walked in the, in the, in the faith. He wants that seed of faith watered. <laughs> but this man was, uh, was scared for his life, scared for his family and would say, no, 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 I can't do this with you because, uh, if I do, then, then I'll be beaten. My family will be beaten, mm -hmm. will be cast out. Okay. But here's this other man, this other pastor in another village. Go talk to him. After exchanging a few more words with this man, he goes off to see the pastor and is immediately baptized. This, by the way, was on December 25th. So he makes Christmas. a profession of faith then. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So he was baptized on Christmas. Then he comes back home. Now he's on the train and he's thinking, I want to keep this quiet for a while. The Holy Spirit had different plans. Uh, he walks off the train and people are already asking him, are you a Christian now? Uh, he says, yes. Courageously, he says, yes. Hmm. Well. And then to, to make longer story short, uh, he was brought in front of the, the police. They questioned him. He even had times when, you know, under the guise of, of this one other uh, religious leader, wanted to have tea with him. And, and Abir's like, oh, all right, let's have some tea. Sure. That's not out of the ordinary. So they sit down and boom, like 17 other religious leaders from <laughs> across the village come and talk to him oh, and try oh. to convince him back. So they brought a Bible to poke holes at it, essentially. And they flip open the Bible and they say, see, see here, it says, if you have faith, you can move mountains. And they set a cell phone down. And they're like, all right, Abir, move the, move the cell phone. Oh. And uh, Abir says, well, what kind of question is that? I know that you guys are educated people, but you're asking me the same thing that Satan asked Jesus to do uh, in the desert. Turn the rocks into bread, right? Right. right so right. putting putting God to the test. And even, even Abir, who is just a new Christian, has just started his journey with the Lord, knows enough not to test it uh, and lets, lets his friends know. Another time he's brought hmm. up in front of, of the other police, 
at a, at a different moment because he went to the actually he went to the police because um people were breaking down his door and he wanted security. Okay. Policeman was very angry with him and basically said um to uh, Abir that you're mocking our community, you're mocking our religion. Okay. But he says to the policeman, "If I have broken any law, tell me what that is and condemn me according to your law." Hmm. Which is very, very similar to what yeah, Christ has I'm said um, that, yes. uh, in front of uh, in front of his accusers yeah. too. So even though Bangladesh is considered a secular state, there's a very close tie. It sounds like oh. between the majority religion that's there and laws, governments, as you say, the police, just in the day to day of activities, Islam is favored over Christianity. Oh, it abs- without a doubt, without a doubt, yeah. it absolutely is. Yeah. You know, the spirit still works even in that. The police ended up coming to his rented community or his rented house where he's got a Muslim family right, family right next to him. Hmm. And this this is where all this issue is taking place at this rented house. Uh, and he ends up just telling the community, look, you're Muslims. He's a Christian. Get along. Um, <laughs> and that's how they, they kept the peace of sense then. He's been living in this um, housing complex that's got, you know, corrugated metal as a fence around it. Hmm. Basically, just a uh, just concrete ranch house. It's got a couple of bedrooms in there. One of the bedrooms is used as the church hmm. or the sanctuary, if you will. Um, but it's outdoor cooking. You know, hunched over this little hole with a with a pot or a bowl, essentially to to cook your food. But it's not much, and that whole thing is thirty five bucks a month to rent. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and he struggles to get that. Okay. In fact, the whole church struggles to get that. Um, is he is he like a bivocational pastor? Does he pastor and kind of make ends meet on what he receives through offerings? Yeah, and that, then does something on the side to kind of make uh, ends meet, or what's his story? That's a great question. So his entire occupation is being a pastor. Okay. Um. So he's he's older. He doesn't have a farm anymore. Abir was supposed to have a field. You know, when his parents died, he was supposed to inherit this field that he was supposed to, A, use to support his family, hmm. but then that he could also bequeath onto his children. Okay. Um, so you have this generational farm, right? Um, but when he was a Christian, his family took him out of the will. So he's left oh with my. nothing. Okay. He has hmm. no way to support hmm. himself. He's all, like I said, he's already an older man and there's no way to support his family. Hmm. Um, and that weighs on him. I asked him, um, so are there times when you just feel like giving up? And he's like, yeah, when the times get hard and we're hungry and we can't support ourselves, um, those are the times that are, he struggles. You know, not only are you, are you persecuted now, but your whole family. You have led your family into persecution. Yeah, yeah, so that yeah. gets hard. So Christians like a beer, when they could open the Bible and they can read scriptures like uh, Paul, you know, when he's sitting in a Roman prison awaiting execution by Nero. This is in Timothy, right? He writes to young Timothy. Anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ can expect to be persecuted. So, I mean, you can you can have that perspective, right? But you also, in another part of the scriptures, have Paul's perspective where he says, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. I mean, I'm hearing all these things that you're telling me that this man has endured. I mean, he's lost inheritances. He's been forced to move. You know, he faces this. I mean, it's not like persecution takes a week off, right? I mean, this is something he faces all the time. But he has a perspective because he can open God's word and he can be reminded of God's precious promises and he's able to endure uh, under a tremendous uh, persecution. Did you gather that from this uh, brother in the Lord? I mean, he certainly yes. was open with you and he, he told you that times do get tough, right? But you, you saw that he, he draws a real strength from, from God's promises. 
Yes. So I asked him about like, okay, so you went to go get baptized, but weren't you scared? He said, no, he Hmm. wasn't scared. Hmm. In fact, he was filled with joy. So he knew all of this would happen. Like, it's not a surprise to him that all of this would be taken away or that he would be beaten, brought before Hmm. the judges. He knew this was happening, but he still had the joy, the joy of being a child of God to inherit then uh, the perfection that Christ was, to participate in his death through faith. Um, That's what brought him joy. Yeah. Are there others like a beer in Bangladesh? I mean, did you hear stories? I don't know if you met some of these people, but surely his is not an isolated case, right? I mean, this is pretty commonplace, isn't it, in a place like Bangladesh? Unfortunately, yeah, it is uh, It is quite commonplace. The one story I can remember, I was interviewing um, this man, and this he was, he was joyful, jovial, always had a joke. He, too, was cast out of his society. And his community, mm. but more importantly, his family. He was married. Let, let me rephrase. He is married and has a child, but they pushed him out of the community because he was a Christian, because mm. he professed his faith. Mm. But when I asked him about his family, it all went away into, into mm. you know, sadness. Yeah, yeah. He knew that the deepest part of him, that the, that, that his wife and his child had, had, pushed him away because of his faith in christ mm. he knew that yeah. um and that yeah. that is a that's a common story uh we mentioned a couple of times of having to move even a beer had to move from from his village here which was six hours north of the capital of bangladesh dhaka he had to move hmm. to dhaka and then the police called him back to his original village so the, the movement, and not just like moving across town, moving complete society or complete communities is not unheard of at all and, yeah. and really is a, is a safety measure. Yeah. So like you, Ryan, I've, I've traveled. I've met with persecuted believers. I remember doing that in Tanzania and Thailand, Indonesia, and the Middle East. Um, I, I kind of found two character traits in these different groups. Number one, they love those that persecute them. I mean, they didn't see those uh, around them as like the enemy to be hated. They saw them as the mission field, people that need to be pointed to Christ. That was remarkable to me. And then secondly, they counted all joy to suffer for the Lord. I mean, just like you said about these these two uh, these two Christian men that you met in Bangladesh, it's odd that there truly is, I mean, it, odd in human terms, right, that there is a peace that passes understanding. How can you have that joy and that peace when you're hated? When when Jesus says they'll hate you because they hated me first, you know you kind of know where you stand in these communities, and yet there is that joy. Um, did you see that too? I love this question. I love that you asked this question because uh, I had the very very same question. Uh, I asked a beer. Now you were beaten. You were cast out. It's so easy to hate people that do this to you. I mean, we, we barely in the West can uh, can post something on Facebook without having a friend now just hate you and disown you, <laughs> right. unfriend you, right? right. Uh, so easy to do that here in the West. But when I asked him, he kind of paused for a second. He said, no, I love them. In no uncertain terms did he say that. It was a very quick, very pronounced, I love them. Hmm. Just like what you just said. A peace that surpasses understanding. This is a love that per- surpasses all understanding. Mm. I don't understand that. I, I pray that I never will have to understand what it is that, or what it is to love those who persecute me. Yeah. Um, and now that I'm, I'm thinking about it, it really shows love being an action. You know, you can't, hmm. you can't feel love to somebody who has just beat you. 
you can't. You'd have to be defensive of that. You have to actually and consciously say, this is a lost person. Hmm. This person, I, I can't fight back against this person, not because I'm not able to, but because it would ruin my witness. Uh, I need to love them and show them and be patient with them. Hmm. Uh, in, in Abir's story, time and time again, he was patient with those people who came and questioned him about his faith questioned him to come back to to islam so absolutely not that he does not hate anybody there he loves them that's why Mm. he's back in that same community uh that persecuted him because he loves them because he knows them so uh, we live out our christian faith pretty much within the confines of safety and security right i mean with relative ease um what are two ways that we can pray for Christians in Bangladesh. I mean, we're, we're certainly getting a picture today that it's it's a tough place to live out your Christian faith. Can't sugarcoat that at all, but a couple ways that we can pray for, for believers there. Well, firstly, give all thanks and praise and glory to God that there is a church there. Hmm. There, there are Amen. home churches there. Over six million people in the past five years or since 2018 have have at least heard the word of God. Hmm. Um, and I don't mean just like standing on the on the sidewalk that they've heard John 3.16. I mean, they've opened up the gospel of John through Project Philip and have at least seen and read and or heard the word from somebody, yeah. somebody that yeah. they know. Praise yeah. God for that. That is, that's amazing. As far as, as praying about the persecution, I would say pray that God continued to extend his hand or continue to extend the spirit uh, into the Christians there to continue loving their neighbors. Hmm. It's hard, you know. You, when you, how do you love a spouse that has uh, cast you out? Hmm. Uh, how do you love a father that has taken you out of the will? And yet, they do. Yeah. And yet they do. Uh, they love their enemies, and they count it all joy to suffer for the Lord. We're talking about persecuted believers in Bangladesh. And Ryan, thanks for sharing about your recent trip to that country and meeting these admirable Christians like a beer who truly deserve and need our prayers. Friends, thank you for listening today. Will you follow Bible League International on social media? You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And you can sign up for our e-newsletter and verse of the day at BibleLeague.org. That's BibleLeague.org. And let us know how today's program impacted you email us at podcast at bibleleague.org. Thanks for listening to the Word in Action podcast.